Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the interwebs and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, it is The Michael Duke Show, broadcasting live. Hi. How are you? It's Wednesday, hump day, middle of the week. Oh, man. Downhill slide. We could see Firearms Friday from here. But uh, here we are now in the middle of the week, ready to dive into it, working on some uh, more great guests for later on this week. And, of course, uh, as of today, we've got some good ones lined up for you this morning as well. Uh, Today, we're going to do our normal kind of headline roundup from around the state of Alaska with the things that have happened since yesterday. Uh, A couple things uh, that may catch your attention here this morning as we jump into it. And then uh, at uh, about uh, 15 minutes or so, we're going to be joined this morning by Representative Ben Carpenter who is currently representing District 29 and who is going to be, well, <clears throat> he's going to be the next, uh, he's going to be the next representative for the same district um, by the same name um, because uh, he is running unopposed as that district changes over to District 8. Uh, he is running unopposed in the Nikiski area down there. We're going to talk with him uh, this morning and get the full rundown of uh, his thoughts on many things, including, I mean, why did he get, why was he unopposed? What's, uh, what's happening? What does the new election look like from his perspective, since he's all alone on the mountaintop, so to speak? Uh, and uh, what's, uh, what does he see happening with the budgets and everything else? And by the way, What's happened to the governor's vetoes? I haven't heard anything. What uh, What are his thoughts on that as well? So we're going to dive into it this morning with Ben Carpenter, who will be joining us again in about uh, 15 minutes or so. And then in hour two, we're finally going to get our hour of power with State Senator Mike Schauer. Um, and uh, we'll... Uh, We'll have some interesting discussions with him and get uh, get a get a feel for what's going on from his perspective as well. We'll be asking some of the same questions, including uh, his take uh, from yesterday's talk with Brad Keithley about um, uh, about about uh, this uh, Doug Massey joining this race um, and whether or not this is a punishment because uh, State Senator Shower is just. He's not playing ball with the powers that be. I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to, right? He's not uh, he's not playing ball, uh, and uh, he he's not playing nice. He's he's being too combative, or not listening to his. What was the, what did the uh, what what did the paper say yesterday? Something about <clears throat> he's being uh, he's being contentious even with members moderate members of his own party. And that uh, Doug Massey is going to be more collaborative. 
that was the uh, that was the word that was used by the uh, ADN that uh, that Doug uh, Doug Massey promises to be more collaborative. Um, <clears throat> you know, they had collaborators during the war, and that's not necessarily a good look. I'm just saying right now. They had collaborators during the war. There was another name for that. Quislings. Uh, you can look that one up. Quislings uh, for those who collaborated during the war. <laughs> it's a more collaborative effort. I know. It doesn't always have to have that connotation. But when I heard that, <clears throat> that was the first thing that came to my mind. Is that, yes, we are we are running a war here. Uh, a war against larger, more invasive government. And uh, we don't want people who are necessarily more collaborative in that uh, neck of the woods. So you make your own choices on that. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good way to, to get into it and uh, start talking about it. Uh, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll be diving into that in Hour 2 with State Senator Mike Schauer. Which leads us to the headlines for today. And there's a few of them. Uh, first and foremost, uh, what I've been worried about for quite a while, we finally got um, some rain yesterday and a little bit more of a misting overnight, but boy, we sure could use some more. Uh, the first fires of the season seem to have broken out. Firefighters were working yesterday to contain wildfires that started uh, west of Talkeetna. The big one they're calling the Kitchatna Fire, and that's about 40 acres uh, forest that is burning, uh, including uh, uh, this one, the Cat, the Kachitna fire, is now burning near nine different structures, and they've got helicopter crews working on that. Two air tankers, one from Fairbanks, one for Palmer, dropping retardant uh, on the structures in the areas around it. Uh, there are also two other fires in the area. One is less than an acre, and they're monitoring that. Crews were expected also on the second fire today. Um, and, uh, they, uh, that, that second fire is estimated according to the ADN and the Associated Press to be somewhere in the neighborhood of about five acres, but, uh, 40 acres, the first one, and they're working on that right now. Boy, we, we, again, we sure could use a, if anybody's listening up there, we sure could use a little bit of extra rain to, uh, keep those fires down for the year. It's been a, it's been an interesting, <clears throat> excuse me. It's been an interesting uh, spring season so far, and uh, we're getting we're getting things uh, getting things going on. Um, good news for those of you who have been concerned about um, uh, all of the health mandates and everything else that's been going on since the beginning of the pandemic. Alaska's health commissioner Adam Crum. Uh, has uh, said that they are going to be ending a public health emergency order that's been in place since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, the order ends on July 1st, according to KTOO, um, and um, it, the end of the declaration will result in program reductions uh, around the state in various ways. The biggest one, I think, is going uh, to be a reduction in extra food assistance benefits and federal reimbursement rates. Up until now, people who have been receiving food assistance have been receiving an extra portion, apparently. That program, even though uh, the uh, the emergency order will end on July the 1st, 
those extra food allotments will continue on through August. And the federal reimbursement rate is going to change uh, up until now. The uh, Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, has been reimbursing COVID-related spending at 100%. Um, after the declaration ends, it will fall to 90% with a 10% state match. So I'm assuming that's all those free tests and everything else that they've been doing is all part of the uh, COVID spending. So uh, that will go down again uh, to uh, 90% starting on uh, July the on July the 1st. So this is the uh, this is the big deal. Now this is the same order by the way that uh, this is the same declaration that expired last year um, and uh, that is uh, when Governor Dunleavy let the declaration expire and saying that the legislature was the proper venue for the extension. They did not renew it, but they did pass legislation allowing the commissioner to declare an emergency, and he did so in May of 2021. And so that uh, new order has been in effect essentially for a year. Crum's order was set to expire when the federal emergency order did unless he rescinded it. The federal order is expected to run at least through mid-July, so he has ended it slightly Early Now, the Public Health Division says that they're going to continue to offer uh, COVID-related services. Uh, they plan on continuing tracking and reporting cases and doing all that, sending out the weekly reports, maintaining the dashboard and everything else. But instead of receiving 100% reimbursement, they will now only receive a 90% reimbursement for that. And uh, so good news for those of us who've been watching and realizing that the pandemic has now become endemic. Uh, and this is uh, that we're going to be living with this. We're going to be living with this for the rest of our lives. That's kind of how it works. And now they're finally gearing down. <clears throat> it's, it's amazing government, right? Slow to gear up, slow to gear down, but they are finally doing so. And an interesting story out of Must Read Alaska this morning. Um, and uh, it... Uh, you know, I, I don't know how some of you feel about this, but this is this is an inter uh, interesting uh, little uh, piece. Congressional candidate Jeff Lofels uh, reported yesterday that uh, Wells Fargo, without notice, closed his campaign account, which had several thousand dollars in it. Um, and uh, he's been trying to get the money out of it. Uh, have them at least give him a cashier's check so he can pay campaign bills that are due to vendors. But he has so far received no reasonable response from the bank, who uh, whose representative, apparently after several hours on hold, told him that they will just give him a check, they'll send him a check in the mail. He thinks that the problem is that his campaign manager, Patrick Flynn, has a small interest in a cannabis company. And the bank is known for steering clear of any funds that can be sourced or commingled with dollars related to cannabis. Um, it has happened to candidates before. In 2018, Wells Fargo closed the account of Nikki Fried, who was a former medical marijuana lobbyist and then candidate for governor, excuse me, candidate for commissioner of agriculture and consumer services in Florida. Uh, Fried is now a candidate for governor in Florida. 
in the case of Lowenfels, he's a known uh, advocate for legalization, and he writes and speaks publicly about the topic. He authored a, a book called uh, DIY Flowering, Auto Flowering, uh, that's available on Amazon. But he's also an attorney and filed his paperwork properly with the Federal Elections Commission. He runs his campaign by paying attention to detail, he said. And his financial disclosures with the clerk of Congress are all in compliance. He actually has a compliance officer on contract with the campaign to make sure that he has crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. Um, while I might not always agree with Lowenfell's uh, politics, I find this highly, just highly irregular. The fact that this is an election campaign, this is not a business account. This is an election campaign where he's obviously trying to run for Congress just because he may have an interest in or have people working for him that have an interest in marijuana or whatever. It is legal in the state. And, and I just I just find it highly unlikely Anyway, it's just, it's astonishing. Again, the ever-creeping influence of federal government on every part of our lives is plain to see right here. Again, this is not a business taking monies from, you know, marijuana industry. This is people donating money to a campaign, whether they, and I don't care where they got their money. They're exercising their rights under the First Amendment to support the candidate of their choice. Whether we agree with them or not, this ought to be chilling to each and every one of you. That the fact that some organization can just, and again, I guess it just reminds us why <clears throat> Wells Fargo continues to have a customer dissatisfaction rating that reaches well beyond the norm. Um, I've known several businesses over the last couple of years that have cut all ties with Wells Fargo because of this. And remember, these are the same people that were out there. Uh, they got fined a billion dollars or whatever by the... Uh, uh, by the uh, by, the government, because they were out there, you know, creating new accounts and moving monies around. Their people were working illegally behind the scenes to get, you know, get bonuses. Other, uh, you know, Wells Fargo definitely, probably not the first place I would choose to drop a campaign account, uh, or you know, probably any kind of account at this point, uh, because, ow, man, uh, but this just really r raised my hackles a little bit. Uh, because, uh, you know, why? No reason, no nothing given, no notice. You're in the middle of running a campaign. Boom, your account is closed. Have a nice day. We'll send you a check in the mail. Oh, man. That's not, uh, that's not a good look for them. But what are you going to do? All right. Um, we got more coming up. Ben Carpenter is going to be joining us in a hot minute. And we'll be covering the gamut on all kinds of things. I mean, we're just gonna have a we're just gonna have a chit chat. That's all up directly ahead. It is the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, Liberty Bait, Liberty Bait, Liberty Based, three free thicken radio. Wow, I talk for a living. Ready? We're gonna go. We're gonna be right back. I'm gonna go have some more coffee. Back with more right after this. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Liberty baited. That's what it is. It's Liberty baited radio. We bait it with liberty and hope somebody comes in and gets caught on it. That's how it works. Hello and good mo guten Morgen, mein Freund. Was ist jetzt los mit dir? Hmm? What is going on? 
Um, my daughter had a Wells Fargo account. I couldn't take cash in and deposit into her account. They were restricted from accepting cash. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I've used Wells Fargo for years and and not have too many problems with them. But I mean, I like I said, I have spoken to many many people who have had nothing but continuous heartache with them. Um, like I said, I don't think that I would. Uh, I don't think I would run right into that and uh, and be starting a new account there if that was the case for sure. Liberty baked. Yep, it's a little Liberty baked. Wake and bake with Liberty, baby. Um, all right, we're coming into it. Uh, phone line is up and ready. Uh, we've got Representative Ben Carpenter, I believe, on the phone in the virtual green room, eating my virtual donuts and drinking my virtual coffee. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Michael. I'm doing very well. Good. Can you hear me? I, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Sounds good. Good, good, good. All right. Well, we're going to be back to you here in just a hot second. I've got to get caught up in the chat room because I've been slacking, so hold the line. Don't eat all the ones with the sprinkles because those are my favorite. All right. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Good morning, good morning, good morning. My dad's in the room. Hey, Dad. Uh, Greg and David, a hawk. Uh, Brian, good morning to you six o'clockers. That's right. This is all the six o'clock club. Um, thank goodness Ben is running unopposed, says Terry. Common sense will prevail in the peninsula. Sounds good to me. Um, Terry then goes on to say, sounds like Massey is running as a puppet. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree with that. It just, again, the collaborator. Uh, the news sucks, says Sandy. Doug Massey is a great human, just like Shower is a good person. Well, um, I don't know why the news would suck. This is my interpretation of what's going on, Sandy. Not uh, not the news's interpretation. It's my interpretation. So we'll, we'll see what's going on. Um, um, okay. She says she doubts that Massey is a puppet just running against a hometown favorite. All right. Yeah. Um, checks in the mail. Wells Fargo has become woke. That is why I quit them. Done with their garbage. I don't know if they become woke. You'd think if they were woke, they'd be embracing the whole cannabis thing. Uh, if that's the true reason why they shut down Lowenfell's, um, account. But, uh, you know, I, I, I would think that the woke banks would be all about that, but I just, I don't know. No notification this morning. Jerrica, this is exactly why you should go to YouTube and like, subscribe to the show, and ring the bell on YouTube so that you can make sure you get your notifications every day. That's why you should do that. See? That's that's why you should do that. Uh, so you'll get your notification. In fact, every one of you, all 51 of you who are in the chat room that haven't subscribed and liked my YouTube page yet, um, I would ask that you do that right now. I'm trying to get to that 1,000 subscriber mark. I've got 3,500 followers on Facebook, but I'm trying to get to that 1,000 subscriber mark on YouTube so that I can uh, start things like Super Chats and some other things. Uh, but I need, I need your help. I need your help. Um, and, uh, I can't, I've been trying to get a third of my 3,500 followers to go over there and, uh, no, it's not, not to say, um, Wells Fargo can't find employees in Bethel and it's hit or miss if they open the door weekday mornings. Oof. Brian says, Wells Fargo's manages his mortgage, sent me a check with a note 
that the escrow account was overfunded. Two weeks later, I got a demand from them to refund the escrow account. <laughs> what? I mean, what? <laughs> Lord. Uh, Lord. Okay. Um, that brings us down to the uh, that brings us down to the uh, to the end here. Wells Fargo, one of the key corporations to write legislators, begging them to take our PFD. Wake up and good morning. There you go. All right, thank you, Carrie. All right, we got more coming up. We're going to be diving into this with Ben Carpenter. That is right now the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Like and share. Let's do it. Hey, that ding means you're ready to go. Fight's on. Round three. You ready? (laughs) Not really. But it does mean that we're diving into it with our guest this morning, Ben Carpenter, who joins us from an undisclosed secret location somewhere on the peninsula, probably near his kitchen table. Ben Carpenter is uh, with us this morning to talk about all things related to the legislature and the government. Good morning, Mr. Carpenter. How are you, sir? Good morning. I'm I'm good, and it's not so secret location anymore. I, this is my third election, and now my address is all over the place. So. I know, really. <laughs> it's almost impossible, right? You're like, wait, you got people showing up right to your door. How does that work? Uh, yeah, so much so, not an undisclosed secret location. Yeah, um, yeah it's one of those things that people have to give up, uh, kind of some of that privacy. Um, yeah. Although I was in the military for 20 years, so I. Really got used to giving that up a long time ago. Yeah, exactly. Well, Ben, let's, uh, let, you know, you, you asked yesterday when I was talking to you about coming on board, you were like, well, you know, what are we going to talk about? And I'm like, well, there's a few things. I mean, first and foremost, this 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 whole new um, voting system that we're working under here for ballot measure number two, the ranked choice voting in the jungle primaries, has led to some interesting things. Now, first and foremost, um, the uh, the registration and the, and the filing deadline has passed. And you are the one and only candidate for the new district. What was District 29 is now District 8. And you are the one and only contender for that whole seat. Um, so this leaves you in kind of a unique position. I mean, you're essentially the new representative for District 8, uh, unless, I guess, somebody tries to mount a write-in campaign. And, of course, with a new vote, I think they actually have to get write-ins approved ahead of time so they can appear on the ballot. I mean, it's a mess. But uh, let's talk for just a second about um, why. Why is Ben Carpenter number you know number one with a bullet? Why is he the only one on the ballot in your area? Do you got a feel for this? You have a sense for what's going on? You know, Michael, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I'd like to think it's because I'm doing a good job, but I don't know that that's the case. I mean, there's a part of me that says I must. I've done something wrong. I haven't pissed any of the super right off and I haven't pissed any of the left off enough to generate a opposition candidate. So right. um, maybe I didn't do something right. Yeah, but <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I think that it's healthy to have competition. And, and my wife is always joking with me because I'm, I, I, I thrive in that, that, that competition is what I, what I enjoy. So I'm, right. I'm a little like a duck out of water here. Well, you know, I've often said that every candidate should have a challenger. And I was just talking um, 
I was talking a little trash about uh, Doug Massey running against Mike Shower because I think Mike Shower is doing a bang-up job. But at the same time, it my mantra has always been every candidate should have a challenger because it keeps, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? So when you go in there and you strike sparks, you keep it keeps your arguments fresh, it keeps you on target. You know, every candidate, even the good ones, as you know, quote-unquote, for whatever your perspective is, I think everybody should be vying and, and rooting for somebody to have a, 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 a you know, an opponent, because again, it keeps the hottest issues at the top of the mind. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I think that uh, if, if um, you're happy that there's no um, opposition, uh, you're not thinking far enough ahead. Right. We need people who know how to run in elected races, and we need to have um, primary opponents who are preparing and, and building that bench for future campaigns. I mean, just because you run and fail one year doesn't mean you fail the next year. Right. It's, it's, um, it's healthy for our communities to have multiple people trying for these positions. And, and how do you make a choice if there's no choice? Right. It, it just doesn't make sense. Well, and overall, what I found very interesting, quite honestly, is the fact that of the 59 seats that are up for election, now, there's a handful that are running unopposed, and so you're one of, I think, four or five that are running unopposed, uh, but we've got another 55 or so seats. Um, only one of them is passing the threshold of of having more than four candidates, right? That's District 35 has got one, has got five candidates, and according to the Ranked choice voting, only the top four can move forward. So, I mean, I, at some point, I got to be asking questions like, why are we even bothering to have a primary at all? Because every one of these yahoos is going to end up on the ballot when it's all said and done. Well, I, there's some folks that were proponents of ballot measure two that, you know, didn't see value in a party uh, primary anyway. So they've effectively eliminated the party primary in all but one race for for the uh, state legislature now your primary election still matters for the governor's race and for your statewide races right and for that one one race within the legislature but yeah i uh i think there's value to having a party um primary where you're narrowing down your choices with uh more like-minded folks folks before you go into the into the arena with folks that aren't so like-minded right well i find it interesting because there's a whole lot of um you know and, and maybe in some areas it may have backfired a little bit because now we've got uh, republican on republican and democrat on democrat in the same races there is no party to narrow things down and now you've got to make the choice uh on the ranked choice uh, situation um this is uh you know it, it's going to be an interesting um, election season and and quite honestly yesterday was the first day that i had seen um, any kind of informational campaign or media coming out from the state division of elections trying to explain to people how this is how this is supposed to work. I mean, there's a those of us who follow politics have probably sussed out exactly what has to come down between the special primary, the special general, the regular primary, the regular general. But it's going to be confusing, especially coming into that August 16th vote. Because you'll be having the regular primary alongside the special general, and I think that there's going to be a lot of confused people. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Michael. I, I think the uh, those uh, politicos who are 
who are paying attention and, and always are engaged in politics or are going to find it challenging enough. And the, the folks that are not um, not always engaged are it's going to be a an eye opener. I mean, they're just not going to know what's going on. Yeah, that, that's the risk. It's it's frustrating. And we're seeing some of the same names, uh, you know, repeated in here and revisited. We've seen. Uh, of course, Kathy, uh, Kathy Geisel is, is, it seems like it's a rematch against Roger Holland, uh, as in the last election. And some of these people who you and I have talked about as being, you know, pro government spend versus pro PFD spend, or maybe pro PFD versus anti PFD. I don't know how we, we finally left it off when it was all said and done, but essentially people who are pro bigger government versus people who are pro private sector. Um, and those seem to be the matches that are matching that are that are kind of sizing up uh, in many of these races as you as you've looked at these, right? Yeah, I I think that there's really five of the contested races that are that are um, maybe leaning Republican that are we have really have to watch for. I think uh, districts ten and eleven, and uh, the the ones up in the interior thirty one, thirty two, and thirty four are all. Um, they're going to make a make a deciding factor. I think I think Republicans in the House have a really good shot at having a a majority Republican. Uh, the numbers again, right? Yeah. And whether that whether that means we actually can get along and and uh, form a majority is another story entirely. But um, I, I think that this is probably somewhere around the twenty three number in right. the House. It, is kind of what I'm thinking. Well, and and I think that's interesting because the Senate has been considered to be pretty stable, but there's been so much infighting going on there that maybe the Senate becomes the unstable one this go around. Because you're right, uh, in District 10, former Representative Craig Johnson is running. He's got some name recognition and some traction in that community, although he's running against two Democrats and a Libertarian. It's going to be an interesting race. And in District 11, uh, which is a you know open brand new open district. District, um, you know, you got Ross Beeling um, and uh, Julie Columbia, who are both uh, Republicans fighting against uh, the nonpartisans in there, Walter Featherly and Jennifer Sohn. Jennifer Sohn is actually more of a uh, Antifa Democrat than anything else. But I mean, it's going to be there's some definite there's some definite uh, dividing lines in there. You can definitely see that there's some different philosophies that are going on. And these are going to be heavy races. So maybe you do walk away with the 23. But uh, the Senate race is, uh, I mean, we've never seen a Senate with, I mean, four officers just basically said, nope, we're done, um, including the presiding officer and the minority leader. And uh, I mean, that's a that's some interesting stuff right there as to what's going on in the Senate. Yeah, I, I think Jennifer Stone actually has uh, pulled herself out of the race. Oh, maybe she? not officially, but yeah, she's I'm... made an announcement or a few days ago that she's not in it. So oh. that's that's. That's another – there's a few of these um, races that are going to boil down to uh, – the, the Fairbanks ones and, and District 11 are going to have um, – for the House side are, are two Republicans and one Democrat, and that puts us in a precarious position with right-choice voting. Right, because but you're right about the Senate. Yeah, because of the split vote. I noticed that Rick Castillo in District 9 pulled out – um, he had been running against Laddie Shaw, uh, but then David Schaff was in there. So it looks like that may be happening. They've got until the 25th to withdraw. And so Rick Castillo is now out of that race. So now it's just a dead head-to-head against Laddie Shaw and David Schaff. So maybe we'll see more of that, where more of these candidates, both on the Democrats and the Republican side, pull out so that there's not multiple candidates in the same 
right. I mean, this is a whole new strategy, right? I mean, this is all new. Yeah, I, I mean, I we've seen that happen before, where Democrats will will fall on their sword and and uh, <laughs> remove their names, but um, that nor, that traditionally doesn't happen with Republicans. Right. We um, we like to go to the battle and uh, and uh, you know die on our principles. And in in this case, especially in the districts uh, 31, 32, and thirty four up in the interior, um, it, it's gonna it's gonna matter who gets eliminated first. Uh, assuming the D's vote heavily for the the only D in that race, and the R's vote for the more conservative, you could have a situation where the more moderate Republican is eliminated in that first round, and and then if your if your conservative has a higher unfavorable rating with the swing voter, then you could see the D get elected in a purple district that should lean Republican. Right. Well, it's. Uh... It's it's going to be interesting to see now 31, 32, and 34. 31 is the Bart LeBond seat. And uh, Shelley Wyatt, the Alaska Independence Party candidate, it was uh, denied. So it was just out between Bart LeBond, the incumbent, Maxine Dilbert, the Democrat, and Kelly Nash, who's a registered Republican and a listener to the show here, uh, who's come in as the more conservative candidate to LeBon. It'll be interesting to see how that vote splits out down. Uh, that that district has always been a troubling district. I mean, remember, LeBon won by one vote, one single vote against uh, Catherine Dodge back in the day. So that, that district will be interesting. And then District 32 is my old buddy Van Lawrence, who ran against me when I was on the assembly. Uh, he later on got onto the assembly, but now he's running as the registered Democrat in that district. And we've got two listeners, Timothy Givens and Will Stapp, who are both listeners to the program here. We see him in the chat room quite frequently, who are also running as registered Republicans. Maybe Timothy and Will need to get together and figure out which one of them wants it more and uh, and figure out that we could, could just get a one-on-one can- uh, a race in there. That would be That would be interesting as well. But, um, yeah, the, the Greyer-Hopkins race, to me, in the interior is the one that's got the most potential because there was a lot of thought that Hopkins was not going to come back this year. Uh, but apparently he, uh, he decided to stay in the race, and you've got Frank Tomaszewski, <clears throat> excuse me, Tomaszewski, who is, uh, who's been running for quite a while, and I've seen him at several events in Fairbanks when I was up there. So this is going to be an interesting race, uh, to say the least. I mean, you know, may you live in interesting times is definitely not just something that's written on a fortune cookie. It's something that we're living right now. Absolutely. And, and that uh, uh, District 34, um, Representative Hopkins' uh, seat, is um, one of the ones that I'm watching. I think that's that's a toss-up in my book right now. Yeah, I think it's going to be definitely be interesting. But there's, I mean, again, there's lots of different races here that are going to be super interesting. We had a lot of a uh, lot of candidates, a lot of incumbents who decided not to uh, either not to rerun, to, you know, totally retired, or just not rerun for their seat. We've seen a lot of people reach up for the Senate from the House, and so it's going to be a very interesting uh, situation here as we watch this go through. We're talking with Ben Carpenter, who is GOP state rep. For District 39 right now, later on it's going 29. to 29. I'm sorry, 29. It says 29 on the screen. I just said 39. Uh, 29, and uh, he's going to be continuing with us here in just a hot second, and we will uh, have more to talk about. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll be back with more and uh, more Ben Carpenter right after this. Don't go anywhere. 
If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now uh, with Ben Carpenter, GOP State Rep, District 29. Um, I had 29 up on his thing, and I was looking at 39 on the other one. So uh, anyway, uh, I, I hate this, Ben, because it takes me it takes me years to remember where all the districts lay out, and then they flip them over every time. <laughs> it's not like they make them even close. It's like, oh, let's just flip-flop the whole map. Uh, District 1 was down here at the top. It was at the bottom of the state. Now it's at the top of the state, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it just gets so confusing. We just got to keep life interesting, don't we? Exactly, exactly. Um, any other thoughts on uh, the races themselves? We're going to move on to another topic when we return to the radio. Um, uh, what, what uh, you know, any other thoughts on the election overall? I mean, do you, you you just said that you think that there's a good shot at the House, but what about the Senate? I mean, it has been so contentious with that conservative core uh, inside the caucus that is being fought against. I mean, not even conservative. I guess, again, going back to the axiom or the labeling of small government versus larger government. I mean, what are your thoughts? So as I look through this, and, and I'm, I've just looked at the precinct numbers, um, not really having analyzed. I'm sorry, I haven't looked at the, the precinct numbers. I've just looked at the um, kind of the historical voting trends. And, and uh, I think that they're safe eight seats in the Senate, eight seats are safe mm-hmm. Republican. I think there's probably five that lean Republicans. You've got a potential of 13 um, Republican seats through this next election. I think there's eight of those 13 that are contested. And I think two of those are toss ups from makes, the Democrats. Yeah. That makes from a the lot Democrat side. Yeah. They've got six safe seats. I think one that leans Democrat and five of those seven are contested. So it really could go um, to the Republicans on this. I mean, I, I think it's our battle to lose. And um, anyway, I, I just I think we're in we're in a good good situation. Yeah. Well, and I think we need to. You know, this is why it behooves us so much to pay attention to. Um, you know what these people actually believe in just don't look at the just don't look at the label at the end of the name don't look at the fact that they're an r you know don't look don't look for the elephant or the donkey look for who's supporting them look for what their comments have been in the past or their actions have been in the past and make your decision based on that because it, it's gotten to the point now that it doesn't matter what what animal you wear on your lapel because you could say that you're a Republican and yet you could be a large government spend, pro-government Republican. And so we need to be looking at, I guess, down into the details of what's going on. You know, who supports if, you know, if somebody is supported by or endorsed by, you know, um, just to pick a name out of the air, John Coghill. Um, that person probably not going to be at the top of my list because we know what Coghill's propensity is as far as PFDs and crime and government spend and everything else. If somebody is supported by him, that immediately is a red flag for me. We need to be looking down into the details of each of these candidates. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think those those questions and the answers to those questions are really important prior to the filing deadline that has already passed. Yeah. Right. 
yeah, no, I think in some, in some cases we may not have gotten the right combination. And, and now you've got a question that is who's going to win the race. Who, who's win? Yeah. Who's electable. Right. More electable, especially within a, a ranked choice voting setting. Right. So if we're talking about um, one of the candidates maybe needing to drop out in order to to make it a two way race, and and that's a stronger um, way to win in that district, then which one which one um, steps out? The more conservative one or the more moderate one? Right. Well, and those are the questions that are going to be a district by district um, base. Right. Well, and especially when we have, you know, two Republicans who are duking it out against each other, like in District 32, two Republicans and one Democrat. Now you have to make a choice if they both stay in the race. Which one do you support? And that means you have to look behind the scenes. You have to look to see who they emulate or who is supporting them and everything else. And that. You know, it is a little bit of extra work, but it really behooves us to do that because otherwise we end up with, you know, another Kelly Merrick situation or something like that where, you know, we, we it's surprise, uh, although it shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody who was really yeah. paying attention. Yeah, I agree. Um, we're going to uh, be jumping into this uh, with uh, Ben Car- uh, Ben Carpenter here in a second. We're going to talk a little bit more about the fiscal policy working group. We're going to talk about the budgets, and we're going to ask specifically about uh, what's happening with the what's happening with the governor's vetoes. We haven't. It's been radio silent from the governor. Uh, for I mean, for everything, including his campaign. Uh, I finally saw some movement uh, yesterday or this morning that they're announcing the opening of a Fairbanks headquarters, but we haven't really heard anything from the governor since the end of session, and uh, I want to know more about that. So we're going to get into that here with Ben Carpenter and talk with him. That reminds us that it's time to jump back into it. Here we go. Please like and share this video. Like and follow the show page. Let's continue on. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio, The Michael Duke Show. All right, we're back now with Ben Carpenter, GOP state rep from District 29. He's going to be uh, continuing with us to the top of the hour. We were just talking about the elections, and we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to keep a close eye on what's happening there. We'll get more breakdown on that as we go through the summer. But let's move on over back to the uh, to the session and the budget and more uh ben uh we are now down we talked to you right before the end of the last session uh now the session is over the budget is set uh the pfds are set everything is all done um what's your overall take on what transpired and what came out of the legislature this last session let's get your hot take on that to begin with well um (laughs) the (laughs) the operating budget uh while I would have liked to seen um, more reductions, uh, didn't grow significantly, and that's a positive thing for the state. Um, at least it's not a huge negative that it grew <laughs> substantially. Uh, the The majority of the spending increase that we saw this year was in that we had a very robust uh, capital budget, and we have lots of people 
from lots of districts uh, cl clamoring for uh, spending in the capital projects that, have, you know, we've had very small capital budgets over the last few years. So um, th the fact that we ended up with a large budget when we had large surpluses uh, didn't surprise me in the least. I, I saw that coming <laughs> at the beginning. I said, this is going to be a, a low threat budget. Right. Um, you know, the, the concept of, should we make fiscal policy change in a year that we have surplus didn't factor into the the calculus of of what happened with this majority during the this session now this this session and and put potentially next year are the years we should be making some structural change because it would be easier to do with money than it would be in the years previous when we didn't have as much money so as far as the fiscal policy working group, I think that we've proven that the the only reason that we had a fiscal policy working group was to avert the government shutdown last year. And the powers that be have not actually wanted to uh, move forward on any of the recommendations that the fiscal policy working group came with. Well, which is super interesting because, I mean, this fiscal policy working group was a, a, such a such such a separate bunch. I mean, they were so philosophically opposed. I mean, you had both ends of the spectrum, and I mean, it was just. And yet, in the end, when it was all said and done, you guys did some yeoman's work in there and came out with a with a unanimous decision uh, on on a plan that then was immediately apparently just stuffed in a drawer. Thank you for your service. Have a nice day. And that is. Uh, I mean that's that's that it's crazy because you guys all came together with a plan that I thought was very comprehensive and seemed to make sense, and yet it's like nobody wants to stop the crisis essentially. Yeah, I would say not nobody. It was just the people who were in the positions of power who didn't want to stop the crisis, and and I hate to. I mean, there's a you know a claim that politicians just are power hungry and all they oh that's all they care about. But if you want to get anything done, if you want to set agendas and move things forward, or prevent things from happening, um, you have to have the positional power in the legislature to to do that, to do either of those things, to stop it from happening or or uh, making change. And this last legislature, those who had the positions of power, um, didn't want to move forward with with any substantial um, change or, or acting upon the fiscal policy working group recommendations. I'm often reminded of the story about never wrestle with a pig because you figure out that you're both covered in manure at the end and the pig likes it. And I kind of think that is the story here that they kind of like the crisis mode because it gives them, um, it gives them more opportunity to do exactly what they want. The divisiveness is exactly the medicine that they need to be able to get their own agendas pushed through. It it may be that may be the case with some, and I, I know that there are some some folks that thrive on the uh, the dysfunction and the you know it, it makes it easier for them to get what they want. Um, I, I think that it's probably more likely that it is just very difficult to see the bigger picture and to achieve consensus on what a solution would be to the bigger picture, especially when the state is so divided. Um, you know, even with, as we're looking at this election, it's going to be close as to who's going to be in the majority next year in both bodies of the legislature. It just, it's, that's the reality. So 
finding any sort of agreement on a direction comes down to a few positions of power and who's in it because uh, we are so divided. And I think that's probably the, the easier way to, or the better way to look at it than, than people that just don't want to do anything. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, the other, the other aspect of this too, is that your constituencies that are clamoring for change, or at least say they want change. And I'm, I'm singling out some business folks here um, have been saying that they want some kind of stability for years, decades. And yet right. we never really, we never really achieve it. So the question I've, I've really got is, do you really want it? Or is it just popular to say you want it? <laughs> is this a populist you know, position because you know it's not going to happen and you just want to look good? It's again, virtue signaling or do you really want to fix and affect change? Um, and you bring up an interesting point. There's been lots of businesses who have uh, taken some of these positions, and some of them, um, some of them is pretty blatantly obvious what's going on. That you know, we saw this with Jim Jensen and Ron Duncan and some of the other major corporations that depend heavily on government spend. Uh, and we saw some of the chambers step up as well in some of this stuff. Uh, especially in regards to the dividend. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because <clears throat> let me just say first, I have some very strong opinions about chambers of commerce who weigh in on something like this and say we need to take that money from Alaskans and give it back to government, especially since probably 80% of their own membership is made up of small business. I mean, you're a small business owner. Would you want to belong to a chamber of commerce that sent a letter to the legislature to say, keep that dividend away from the people we needed for government spend? Yeah, that frustrates me beyond belief. I don't think that the um, Alaskans and, and Americans in general are going to be more free and have more liberty in the future with larger government. I'm a limited government guy. I want to see um, economic growth in the private sector, not in the government sector. And to the extent that Republicans and Democrats alike choose their business plans and their business models to... Um, they're only going to be successful if they get state spending or federal spending, then that's that's counter to what I believe is fundamental to securing liberty and and um, prosperity in the future. Yeah. Um, if 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 a business says, hey, I need uh, state dollars to succeed, then you're really saying I need somebody's tax dollars somewhere to, to support right. my business. You've built the and wrong. That's not. That's not economic growth. <laughs> no, you, you've built the wrong business model. If you're dependent on government spending, you've built the wrong business model. That's essentially what, what that comes down to. We're down to the last two minutes here, Ben. Um, I do want to ask, where's the governor? I mean, what what happened? We were hoping that this this budget was still pretty – I know you're saying it was kind of non-offensive, but we were still hoping that the governor would make some cuts, and it's been radio silent from the mansion. What Any word on what's happening with that? So I could be speaking out of turn here because I'm I'm not just your thoughts. Know, but just my, your thoughts. My my understanding is that the governor has not received the budget yet. Really, he hasn't so received he, it. So he can't actually like he, he could kind of have a concept of what he's going to do, but he hasn't actually received it yet. So um, we're going on three weeks here, Ben. I mean, how long does it take to transmit it to the governor's office? Well, you. From a functional legislature or a dysfunctional one? <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, I think that there isn't there a statute that says that they have to get it to him by a set amount of date anyway. I mean, are we beyond that or? Uh, 
yeah, you got me. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, either way, either way, it is, it, it doesn't surprise me that it's taken so long to get to him. Um, I think I know that from the minority's perspective, we've already communicated with him. We, we already have um, shared with him what we think needs to happen and what where we're willing to support him. And um, I'm just I'm excited to see what happens. Well, <clears throat> we are, too. We'd like to see something going on. Ben Carpenter, GOP State Rep District 29, my friend, thank you for coming in and uh, being part of it today. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. Yep. Hold the line for just a second, Ben. Uh, All right, folks, coming up next, Hour 2, should be State Senator Mike Schauer. We're expecting him to be ringing into us. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. So... Representative Kevin McCabe just sounded off in the chat room and said, the budget has not been transmitted yet. Time compression as a weapon. Um, And is that, I mean, does that seem plausible to you, Ben? I mean, that they're waiting and waiting and waiting to give him as little time as possible to get uh, whatever vetoes he's going to get in on this. Is that, uh, does that sound about right from your perspective? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, again, I'm I'm a little shocked that this gamesmanship is continuing uh, into the uh, into the end of the session, especially since we've got a you know this big uh, uh, this big election cycle going on. But I guess again, some people just don't want to let go of whatever power that they seem to have uh, available to him. Uh, if he does get it, have you you have no expectation, you have no idea. You guys have expressed your thoughts on it, but you have no idea or indication from the governor what he may be or may not be supporting. Um, no, I, I would uh, let the governor speak for himself on that. Okay, um, it's uh, it's this this is it's so frustrating. I, I can't imagine how frustrating it is to actually be hip deep in it. It's so frustrating to watch from the outside. Um, I'll give you final thoughts here, Ben, on, um, you know, the budget, the vetoes and the upcoming election and the session that's coming up. Your final thoughts. I'll give you the floor here for the last couple of minutes in case. And if there was something else that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about, we got about four minutes here. Yeah, no, I'm I am hopeful that when the budget finally gets to the governor, that he is um, f- follows through with uh, conservative principles and reduces the size of the, the budget. Um, the difficulty in that is going to be that every constituency has <laughs> something that matters to them. And um, that's going to be a difficult call for him. I think there are some projects that don't need to be funded from state. If you're, you're talking about uh, diving boards, I think that that's a, a local issue and doesn't need to be a state issue. If you're talking about road maintenance on state roads, then that's, uh, that's a state issue. So um, th- there are there are things that should be cut out of the budget, uh, the capital spend. Right. Um, that's that's my hope is that we see a little bit of uh, reduction. I had hoped that we would put more money away in savings than than we did for for a future rainy day. And, and although I don't believe the governor really has the capability to do that. Um, that's I, I, that's one of the wishes that I wish we had it done um, better at for this budget. I don't I don't think it puts enough away. 
But that was a call that was made at the very beginning. I, I requested uh, to put an amendment in at the budget to put a $250 million into the CBR, and it was shot down. So we didn't want to... We want to say that we're putting things away in savings, but we didn't actually want to do it. Well, I mean, so. and that's the that's the big thing. I mean, we owe by the Constitution. That's not a statute that's easily ignored. We owe the CBR like ten billion dollars, and yet instead of putting excess monies away into the CBR where it really belongs, we even bypass that and uh, are putting monies instead in the ERA. Uh, or in the SBR because they're more easily obtainable. They don't want to put the money out of reach because if they put it in the ERA, it requires a super majority vote to get it back out. Yeah, yep. I it, the the money in the savings at this point um, it serves two purposes. One, it serves a purpose in case we have uh, low oil prices in the future and continued uh, strife over how to fund our state government to to what size it needs to be, and and two, it affords us opportunities um, when we have low uh, oil prices to, to actually make some structural change. I, it would surprise me if, if we're going to find a collective will to make any sort of uh, move towards the fiscal policy working group recommendations while we have um, surplus money. Right. It just, it goes counter to um, human nature. <laughs> but yeah. when, when we, when we have um, money problems, then we have the, urgency to make some change and if we've got some savings that that enables us to do do something in that, in that regard so right. um anyway i would like to think that if the republicans get put in charge next year that we have the will to to make some systemic changes but we'll see what happens all right well ben carpenter thank you so much for coming on board this morning we appreciate you being part of it as always uh, appreciate your time i know you're a busy guy get out there and get some flowers done huh Thanks, Michael. Anytime. Uh, All right, Ben. Appreciate it. Thank you for uh, sounding off this morning. Representative Ben Carpenter, our guest this morning on the program, um, discussing, well, everything related to politics and more. Um, All right. That clears the lines there. We're going to be jumping back in here, hoping to hear from State Senator Mike Schauer in just a hot second. And uh, we'll get him on there. Donna Ardwin is in the chat room. And as always, uh, I love talking with her. We're gonna we're trying to uh, – I need to set up a time with Donna to have her come on and discuss. Uh, we had an interesting discussion with some of the Libertarian candidates last week um, about the CAFR, C-A-F-R. And, um, uh, we, and Donna has said that she would be welcome to come on the program and talk about that and the audits. So we're going to try and set up a time with her maybe the first part of next week where we can uh, go over this and talk about that. But Donna is in the chat room, and she said, uh, after we were discussing the governor and the budget and time compression as a weapon, she said, the time crunch shouldn't make a difference. The governor's staff works with him in advance to mark up a copy of the bill. When the governor receives the enrolled bill, he just needs to replicate his mocked-up bill. And so, um, yeah. I think that's a uh, uh, that's that's some good news, and she would know since she's you know part of that uh, as all the way through. All right, let's um, <clears throat> see if we can get uh, Mike Shower on the phone here real quick, and uh, we'll get things ready for hour two. Uh, get ready to kick things off, and uh, be ready to uh, get the job done here. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. <laughs> he sent me a text last night. Am I on tomorrow? I was already asleep. Yes, you're on. 
All right, here we go. Common Sense Radio. Let's uh, do this thing. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com. That is where you go to uh, uh, to get uh, the podcast and the live stream and all of our social media links and all the stations and translators that we are connected to. And, of course, we are broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on all of those translators and stations and everything else. Welcome to the program. It is the Wednesday edition of the Michael Duke Show, and we are uh, ready to uh, we're ready to go. We're ready to rock and roll. Uh, hour two. We're expecting to hear from State Senator Mike Shower, who uh, is uh, coming on for the Shower Hour of Power. Now, ironically enough, uh, he sent me a message. Late, I mean, I was already well in bed by this time. He sent me a message. Says, "Am I on tomorrow?" Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Uh, and I haven't been able to. Uh, uh, he hasn't called in, and I've been trying to ring him up here the last few minutes during the commercial break, and we haven't heard from him. So I'm going to try again. We'll reach out to see if we can get him on. If not, we'll open up the phone lines for just a minute or so. Maybe he will call in here shortly, and we'll get uh, we'll get him uh, squared away. Uh, for the shower hour of power to talk to him about all the things we just talked about with Representative Ben Carpenter. Uh, Ben is, uh, he laid out some interesting things for us there, and I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear more about it. All right. Uh, Donna Ardwin, um, uh, Donna Ardwin is uh, in the chat room and she was talking about, we were talking about time compression as a weapon. Uh, where he said, you know, where Ben said he wasn't even sure that the governor had the budget yet to veto. Um, and there was some discussion about whether or not that was being used, again, time compression as a weapon, which seems to be one of the favorite tactics of the powers that be, the good old boys network uh, in the legislature, that they like to use that against legislators. But Donna, who's been through a few of these budget cycles, says the time crunch shouldn't make a difference. The governor's staff works with him in advance to mark up a copy of the bill. When the governor receives the enrolled bill, he just needs to replicate his mocked-up bill with the cuts inside of it. And um, I'd like to see it. Uh, I would like to see what's going on. Um, 
So we're going to we're going to see what's going on. I see Michelle Chower is in the chat room this morning as well. Hey, go shake your hubby up and tell him to give me a call. We're waiting for his call right now. He's again, he sent me an email last night or a text message at like 10:45 at night. I was already asleep because uh, you know, <laughs> I got to get up early in the morning to do this stuff. Uh, I sleep I sleep well on this uh, on this thing. Um, all right. Well, while we're waiting for uh, Mike Shower to show up, we will open up the phone lines to take some calls from you if you'd like. The number to call is 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150, uh, powered by our friends at Satellite West. Uh, they are providing us uh, with sponsorship for the program and for the call-in line this morning. They are your communications specialists at Satellite West. You can find out more at Satellite West. Dot com. We'd love to hear. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and hear from them, uh, and thank them for sponsoring the program across the state of Alaska today as well. Some of the other notes from the trail. Um, some interesting things. Uh, if you've been following the big race for the special uh, the, for the special election for the congressional seat. Um, as of Monday, the division of election had received one hundred and ten thousand plus ballots. Um, and uh, that means that uh, of those ballots, 108,480 were mailed in, which means just under 2,000 of them were handed into the Division of Elections. Um, they also received ballots that were undeliverable. The division now counts uh, 508,000 ballots as actually deliverable to voters, meaning they had over 50,000 ballots that, um, well, just came back or didn't go anywhere. The earlier number was 50, 563,000. But uh, according to Must Read, that puts the turnout so far at about 21.65%. Now, remember, if you have your ballot in hand and you haven't turned it in yet or you haven't mailed it in, you have until, um, you have until Saturday to postmark it and send it in. So what happens after that? Well, they begin tabulating all the ballots that they've already received at 8 p.m. on June the 11th, which is election night. The absentee review boards have been reviewing the ballot envelopes for eligibility since May the 27th. So uh, the painstaking work of determining eligibility and no duplicate ballots will be done uh, mostly by 8 p.m. on the 11th. And the first tranche of ballots will be counted and reported about 8.30 to 9 p.m. on Saturday. So the same night, we'll start hearing where the elections sit. Um, and it's unsure if there will be additional updates on the night of June the 11th after their first reported count. But according to the division website, they will be updating the initial vote count first on the 11th, that night the, that the polls close. Then the next count will be on June 15th then June 17th, then June 21, essentially two to three days. Every two to three days, you'll get a new release. And then they have to certify the election by June the 25th. So um, they've got to get it all done because, again, then the next round for the general election will be uh, on August the 16th. One of the other interesting comments in this uh, piece is that um, that that Josh Revac is kind of gone MIA? Um, that he has not posted a single thing on any on Facebook from his campaign for over 
three weeks. I think he was expecting a lot more horsepower to come out when he got the endorsement of Don Young's widow and, uh, you know, was saying that he had been tapped to replace Don Young. I think he was expecting a lot more support. But again, in a race with 48 players, it's hard to, you know, nobody. I was speaking with a candidate the other day uh, who shall remain nameless for the moment. But basically they said, yeah, it's pretty hard when you start talking and you start, you know, asking people for money. And they're like, oh, there's 48. Uh, you know, they're waiting for this thing to narrow down to where they have only four candidates. That The primary is going to be hard when you get a key, when you get a primary that's got that many people. Um, it's very, very hard uh, for folks to uh, uh, to be all part of that uh, because they want to they want to back a winner. They don't want to throw their money away. Um, but we'll we'll see what happens. Let's go over to the chat room right now and to the phone lines and see what you guys have to say this morning. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Randy in Fairbanks. Morning, Randy. What's on your mind? Well, yesterday I finally got around to digging through my mail and getting out my ballot. I thought, I better do something before June 11th sneaks up on me. And I read everything, looked at everything. One thing that caught my eye was uh, in the instructions here, it says, number one, vote ballot. It says, uh, um, fill in the oval for one candidate right. next to your choice using blue or black pen. If you make a mistake voting, call the election office below to request a replacement ballot or draw a line through the oval of the candidate you voted, 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 um, write no next to it, and then continue voting by filling in the oval next to your choice. Right. For example, and they show a picture of right. crossing through. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> I hope nobody abuses that, you know, with all these uh, mail-in vote uh, ballots floating around and people saying, oh, let me take your ballot down to the mailbox and... I wonder if anybody at all, I mean, probably not hardly much will happen like this, but somebody could just cross out your vote and put in their candidate and mail it off. You know, that seems like a little avenue for fraud, possibly, you know. Yeah. But anyway, no. I decided, I was almost thinking I'd, I'll read it, I'll fill it out, I'll mail it, I'll, I'll uh, not mail it. I plan to go down to the election office and uh, take it down personally. And... Um, but then I thought, no, I don't even like early voting. I don't like the whole idea of it in case, unless you're doing an absentee ballot and you're really going to be out of town or something like that. But I think I'll uh, do it at the last possible time, the last possible day, like normal. And um, um, But then I thought, oh, it's on Saturday. June 11th is on Saturday, and I wonder if I hope it won't be closed or something. But I, I looked up because down here in, in the final step it said uh, – uh, Mail your ballot for for this all all by mail special primary election postage is prepaid. It must my must be postmarked by June 11th. Blah, blah. Or you may drop off your ballot at any voting location in Alaska. This includes absentee voting and early voting locations. To find a drop off location, visit our website at www.elections.alaska.gov. Anyway, I went to that uh, website, and it looks like. Well, at least for Fairbanks, and I guess for every, well, anyway, I'll talk about Fairbanks. It said, it, I thought, well, does this mean they're having a bunch of drop boxes all scattered all over town, right, or what right. does it mean? But it looks like it's just on 7th Avenue at the state building, you know, at the elections office. Right. And then I guess they'll be open all the way till 8 p.m. on Saturday. So I guess I can do this on Saturday as if I'm in a normal thing. And However, 
because it's just one, I thought, well, is it going to be crowded? Well, most people are mailing it, I guess, so maybe it won't, or maybe it will be, particularly since you got to get the, even though you're going directly down there, I guess, I guess I'll still have to get my signature verified by the, by the official down there, and I don't know if it'll be a long line of people <laughs> get, trying to get there. So I want to make sure I don't get there. You know, I need just, to get there just, as soon as I can. I, you, I mean, you, you know, know Randy, just, just, early just on Saturday. Randy, just take your ballot to work and have one of your coworkers validate your signature, and then just walk it in and hand it over. Make it easy. There's no sense in complicating this, and you can do it. And you can do it ahead of time. You don't have to wait for that day. You can do it. Ahead of time, I know you don't like early voting, but there it is. It's right there. It's available to you. You can go drop it off. You don't have to mess around with it. So don't overcomplicate things, my friend. I know that that is your want, but uh, make it easy on yourself. Just go ahead and uh, just go ahead, get it validated by a friend and uh, and turn it in. Uh, thank you, Randy, for your call. Um, hey, look, the phone just rang, and that means that uh, it might be time. That's right, time. For the shower hour of power. What are you doing sending me a text message at 1035 at night? I mean, come on. You know I'm asleep. I'm a, I'm a, I, I need that beauty rest. You can see the face. You know I need it. Well, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? You're, you're, you're a handsome man. You're not only handsome, you're very powerful. <laughs> handsome and powerful. Boy, you really are asleep, aren't you? It's, a, it's amazing stuff. Uh, Mike Shower joins us this morning. How are you, my friend? I am fine. I am very happy to no longer be in Juno. I can tell you that. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, it's amazing stuff. Are you uh, Are you fully rested now that you've had a couple weeks to uh, uh, to to you know rest and and recreate and kind of rejuvenate? Had, did you pull all the feelers in and just kind of uh, did you hermit up for a couple weeks or what? Oh yeah, there's so much work to do at home and garden yard house you know four months of not being there and you know it's not like you know you just went home and sat there and had coffee it's like dude, you know, i was working my tail off but you know fun stuff you right? your own house your own yard and especially the garden stuff i mean i loved garden michelle getting everything ready and greenhouse and all that so um a lot of work but kind of fun work right mindless work relaxing you know, just, yeah yes so that's been really nice and we've had some really good weather i mean you know you know it's just hot and sunny so uh it was just you know a lot of time with the family grandkids over so it's been nice good to good do that well before we get into the danger zone let's uh let's take a quick break and we'll be back uh since we're right up against it mike shower is our guest it is the shower hour of power or in this case the 43 minutes of power we're going to be back with more don't go anywhere we will continue our discussions and get a chance to uh See what uh, what Mike Shower has to say. Paul says he said he saw Willikowski at Costco yesterday. He looked tired, too. Every legislator that I've talked to so far has been exhausted. <laughs> They're just like, I am so... I talked to a Democrat here the other day that I ran into, and they were like, it's... it's ex I mean, even they are exhausted. So we'll get the full take here in just a moment from Mike Shower. Back with more The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the, on the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
So the comment that wins the internet today, the comment that wins the internet was, where's Dozer? Is he dozing? (laughs) 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 Oh, my friend. Oh, my friend. Um, it, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. So are you ready to face this madness again already? I mean, are you, uh, you know, this is the question that I ask all the first year politicians, right? What exactly did you lose your mind? Uh, that's a great question. You know, I mean, that's exactly, you know, and I'm sure Michelle is over there rolling her eyes. Um, but, you know, uh, what exactly did you lose your mind and uh, and do this? Uh, are you sure you're ready for another bout of this, another two years of, uh, of absolute uh, mayhem and madness? No, no, I'm not absolutely ready. I'm just, uh, you know, like I said, Mike, there's two folks. There's two things to consider. One is. What's going to happen with the Constitutional Convention? Um, You know, keeping my fingers crossed that people are going to see through the charade, the lies, the spin, the fear, and vote yes and give us a chance to actually take some power back from all the special interests in government that controls everything. So that's number one. So I want to be around for that, right? What happens if we write the rules, which we would, then I want to be there. and I want to make sure we get it right and try to make sure that those powers don't take control of it and do it wrong right i want to make sure it's done right so that's number one and that's such a big deal that is such a potential you know for like a person except the state life altering moment you know and i want to be there and make sure that you know i can have influence on that and help guide it so that's number one number two i mean look at the numbers brother i mean we're looking at at least a quarter or more of the senate change in hands at least right minimum uh, with new people and significant changes in the power dynamics. And then the same thing in the House. I mean, you've had, what, at this point, 10, 12 different legislators just say, well, I'm not even coming back. Right, right, right. right. Run again, plus some some races that are definitely going to change hands. So there's potential to come back and see that, you know, regardless of the constitutional convention question, so so much change in the power dynamics that maybe, maybe perhaps just for once, I'll actually be able to look at a house and a you know Senate controlled by Republicans that don't sell their souls to you know to the you know, far left Democrats you know the progressives and the the Marxist socialists whatever they they have the crony capitalist um, you know you're all talking, of that yeah the crony capitalist uh, Republicans who and, basically and want to protect maybe, the government spend right yeah and maybe with a governor you know all three you know, if you will, bodies aligned, be able to move some things forward because it's, as you've seen for five years, it's been an absolute nightmare. So keeping my fingers crossed that maybe between those two things, being there with some changes, you know, and I, I hate to be the eternal optimist when we always get disappointed every single year, somebody sells their soul like Kelly Merrick, you know, and there it goes again, Right. Um, that we would have the chance to actually move well, some things and it's it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned the Constitutional Convention, and and I'll be honest, you obviously got some people spooked about this because they've already formed a committee, um, they've already put it together, uh, they've got a clever name, um, and uh, they, from my understanding, they're already out there shopping a hundred thousand dollar media ad campaign 
to try and convince people not to vote for the Constitutional Convention. So you've obviously got some, not you, but I mean, the people who are supporting the CONCON have obviously got some of these folks scared. But I think it's also going to come down to, they're going to need some organization. They're going to need some, um, you know, when you've already got the other side putting together a $100,000 media buy, you best get together and figure out who's going to be supporting this and start raising some money because this is going to be a battle for the heart and soul of Alaska. No, I know. And I'm definitely trying to do that with some benefactors and some people that want to help us, you know, get this together because we need organization. I just couldn't really do anything during the session. And people wanted me to come home day one. Do that the other way, guys. I need a week or two to breathe here. I'm, I'm tired. I got to right, go right. back to work. I have another job, you know, right. so I'm going to be busy. Um, yeah, no worries. I mean, I'm, I can finish on that, but it's just, there's a lot going on yeah. and we need that help and that money. But Mike, I, I have spooked them because yeah. I've been the loudest voice so far on it. They are, they are going to play the fear mongering card. So let's see how this plays out. All right. The ding means time to get back to it. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based free thinking radio, like it, share, like it, share. Here we go. All right, we're continuing now. State Senator Mike Shower joins us for what we lovingly call the Shower Hour of Power. Coming on board after a two-week hiatus, he's full of PNV, I'm sure, and ready to go, ready to rock and roll. <laughs> Facing this, it's like eating broccoli before you get to the dessert. I know it's tough stuff, but you got to do it. Um, you were just talking about uh, one of your big focuses coming into this, not only for obviously for re-election, which we're going to get into here in just a second, but you mentioned the CONCON, and that's a big topic that I wanted to take on with you uh, this hour anyway. Um, I mean, this is really – now, there's lots of potential, as you, we were just talking about during the break. There's lots of potential for turnover in the legislature. I mean, we've got almost a full quarter of the legislature that's just gone. They just decided not to rerun. They decided not – or they're changing seats or whatever. So there is an opportunity here potentially to have a, uh, a legislature that's controlled by the more conservative, fiscally conservative elements uh, in both the House and the Senate. But obviously the whole card is always going to be the CONCON, which you have been one of the most vocal proponents of. And uh, and that's led obviously to some opposition and everything else. What's your what's your tact here? What's your plan um, uh, You know, in talking about the Constitutional Convention? Well, you know, I needed to, you know, set a, a week or two off to kind of breathe and recharge the batteries before I go back to work. And then, of course, all of the legislative stuff and, you know, then people running for seats and all that. But, you know, I'm trying to find benefactors, uh, people that will help underwrite and provide funding because you're going to need funding, right? No bucks, no Buck Rogers. And you got to be able to sell the message and explain to people you're going to have to buy advertisements in the Anchorage Democratic News and the Juno Empire and the Fairbanks News Miner, the radio stations, you know, digital. And that all takes just like a campaign for anything. It takes money and it takes, you know, time and effort. And people are going to need to hear the why should I vote yes, because all they're going to hear right now for most people, you know, the 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 big money, the big unions, the folks that already have tons of money, right? Businesses, big unions, all that stuff. They're going to spend a ton of money to make sure that that constitution hasn't touched. Why, Mike? Because they know they've got the freaking 
the game is rigged and it's rigged in their favor and they know it and they are scared to death. Why is the special interest scared? Why are they spooked as you called it on the break? Because they know if the people have a chance to elect good delegates and change the constitution in a way that might take away their power, well then you just hit their most precious crown jewel right. the power to control the money the spend everything that happens in juno and the capital this state is run by special interest lobbyists all that money that power if the people have a chance to take some of that back and say an act of spending cap right a real solid spending cap if they have a chance to put the cost or the permanent fund dividend in so it's taken away from special interest being able to take it forever if those things happen then they lose a lot of their control over the process and they're scared to death and angry and mike all you got to do is look at the numbers look at who is opposing a constitutional convention like i've said many times on the show that's all you need to know of why you should vote yes <laughs> kathy geisel Staunchly opposed to a constant John Coghill, all the big union leaders, yeah. all many of the big businesses, they are they do not want a constitutional convention. Right. Well, the, well. The, this group that's the, the group that's opposing it. First of all, clever name. I got to give them props for that. The name of their group is Defend Our Constitution. That's the name of the group. Uh, yeah, but it defend is our power. Yeah, exactly. Uh, co-chaired by Kathy Geisel, John Coghill, Bryce Edgemond, Luke Hopkins, Joel Hall, Bruce Patello. This is a who's who of big government spending. It really big is. Big government, government, special interests, lobbyist power. That Look at the names, Mike. Look at who it is. That's all you need to know to go, yeah, I got to vote for this thing because if these people are opposing it, I should be for it. I mean, unless you're for lobbyists and special interests and big unions and big uh, corporations and chambers of commerce and all of those, you know, unless you want them to continue to maintain power, take away your PFD, spend what they want, have unlimited control of your government, unless that's what you want, I would recommend you vote yes for a constitutional convention. The fact that they are scared and spooked beyond all reason tells you that you ought to vote yes for this because they know what's at stake. <laughs> and it's not, oh, my God, the Constitution is going to be ripped apart and torn. The state's going to be torn apart to pieces. And it's a, No, that's not what it is. It's like, I'm going to lose my chance to be at the trough of government spending and money. I'm going to lose my chance to control all policy and power. I'm going to lose my chance to be the one in charge in a modern day king or a queen. That's what's at stake, Mike. Yeah. No. That's why they're scared of it because they know it equals power being put back in the hands of the people and the party, at least some part of the party in Juno might be over. Right. That's right. what they don't like. And for those of you who are keeping track at home, some of the other names associated with this coalition members, this is the who's who. I mean, it's Scott Kendall. It's Steve Lindbeck. It's Susan LaFrance. Um, it is Libby Bacalar. Uh, I mean, you know, if you know these names and you know what they stand for, you're like, what? <laughs> what? Uh, I mean, it is. It, I mean, it, this is some crazy stuff right here. Uh, Tell me one pro PFD, one pro smaller, less powerful government, one less government spend. Tell me one name on that list that truly, honestly stands for any of those things. Yeah. No. Not one of them. Every one of those is far left or supposedly a Republican that clearly is for their anti PFD. You know, they're for bigger government. They are for control of government with lobbyists. They're longtime politicians. They're deep state type people. They're 
anyways, it's just the list is a long and distinguished list of those people. And anybody that pays attention on your program or anywhere else, just it's in it, most, this is the thing, Mike, this is why you need that campaign, right? This is why you're going to need money and advertisements in the Anchorage daily democratic news and others, because people don't know. They don't right. understand all right. this. We're not, I don't know how you reach 736,000 people, uh, enough of those voters to get them to vote. Yes, we're going to have to do that. And that's why you need the campaign because they're not going to know. And they're going to see these people spending money in the, you know, a big spread in the ADN. And it's going to say, oh, you got to protect the Constitution because they're going to tear it apart. It's going to be terrible. And what they're not going to tell you is that, oh, you know, but make sure that, uh, you know, special interests can still control the state and we're going to take your PFD. They're not going to say that in the advertisement. <laughs> they're going to say this is dangerous and money well, is going to flow into the state. They're going to tear up the Constitution. No. And again, no, go, and again, go right down to the financial disclosure. Top three contributors are Annie A. Alaska, <laughs> David Gottstein, and Judge Nisi Steinkruger. Those are the yeah. top three. I mean, you know, again, all you have to do is look who's behind. But again, this is the battle we're going to be fighting. And like I said, I they, they're already talking about a hundred thousand dollar media blitz to try and convince people that this is the 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 worst thing since polio or something. Uh, so I mean, it's uh, it's going to be an exciting challenge, but uh, you're going to be working on that as well as your campaign, right? Yeah, yeah, great. I know. Got to just have more work to do. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's the what, what's the we used to have a saying in the military, Mike? The reward for good work was more work. Yes, so. exactly. This is and never volunteer. Um, that was the two things. Um, all right. So the con con is obviously going to be an integral part. It is the sword of Damocles that is hanging over these folks. Uh, maybe, maybe we get a good makeup in the legislature and we're able to take back more of a control with a conservative, uh, you know, with a conservative smaller government. A coalition of people. I don't care if they're Democrats or Republicans at this point, as long as they are committed to a smaller government footprint and a full PFD. I think that is uh, that is the important part. Um, but again, it all comes back down to the races. And I'm assuming over this two weeks, you have had a chance to digest a bit of uh, what the races are looking like around the state. Uh, I mean, the Senate uh, actually must read had an article the other day saying that, you know, the House has been the real contentious thing. But this year, it's probably going to be the Senate that's kind of contentious because, again, it's the first time ever that both the presiding officer and the minority leader have both said, no, we're done and walked out. Um, and so there's some potential in here for some real upsets in the Senate. What say you? Yeah, I actually talked to Suzanne, you know, before she wrote that article, and I'm sure she talked to a number of legislators to get a feel for it. But I told her that very thing. I mean, the, the essence of her article is is what I told her. I said, I expect, you know, and of course, it all depends. You never know last minute races and ranked choice voting and all this crap. I mean, it could it could be upside down, but I expect the House to actually be stronger and, and have a chance for a Republican coalition leading it um, for the first time in five years, really, since I've been there. And I actually believe that, you know, the Senate is going to be more challenging this year because you're going to see that, you know, if you look at, you know, let's just say we had 13 Republicans come back. Well, you know, the the old guard has been dying off. They've been getting voted out. You know, the incumbents have been going away, et cetera. And the night the power dynamics are shifting. And if you look at all the people that are not running and coming back, um, they've all been for the most part, you know, like anti PFD, that crowd. Right. 
and right. you know likely to be replaced by people that are more um you know for the pfd of some level at least i mean depending on what they say of course and all the the political spin i believe in a reasonable you know sustainable pfd okay affordable. what does that mean you know? i believe in an affordable yeah. pfd <laughs> back, back to that what does that mean i support pfd a one dollar pfd the 500 dollars pfd statutory PFD. what is that you got to ask that question right like i told you do you support a binding caucus well i'll wait until i get there dope not good enough answer bubba i want to know now i mean i want a yes or no and when they're you know politicians they will give you that answer so um that's going to be you know one of those things we're going to see but i do believe that the senate is going to be interesting because you got the the stephen stedman bishop pact you know and those guys with hoffman have been very tight and they are the only four left that have been there a long time right since 2005 everybody else has changed hands in that senate every seat of the 60 legislators the only four that have been there consistently since that time were Hoffman, Stedman, Stevens, um, and uh, who am I forgetting? Bishop. Hoffman, no, Bishop was only there since like 2013 or something. or 20, He wasn't the longest. I'm forgetting one. There's four. Uh, anyways, yeah, so Stevens, Stedman, Hoffman, and somebody. I don't know. But um, that's it. But in the Senate, there's your, you know, there's your four or your three, you know, kind of power players. Um, and Bishop is, you know, kind of aligned with them as, as far as a group. So you look at that and you go, well, you know, if we come back with 13 Republicans again, depending on the flavor and who they are, you know, those three have, uh, you know, easily joined the Muskox caucus and would, I have no doubt would probably do it again, which means if you come back with seven Democrats, you know, now you're at a 10-10. Well, who's going to throw their, you know, card in which direction, right? right. I mean, you, you look at like Donnie Olson has been very supportive of a full PFD. He's pro-life. He's pro-gun. He's not really a Democrat. <laughs> um, and has bucked his caucus on um, the PFD repeatedly, like with Wilikowski and Kawasaki. So, you know, it's an interesting dynamic, Mike. This is not coming back with 13 Republicans in the standard. You know, Hoffman joins the Republicans and, and binding caucus. And there's, you know, like six, seven of them. And you know, it's a split like it's been for a couple of years. And, you know, there's a Republican majority, but not really, you know. And then who's in control of it? Because the old power brokers have always seen, you know, been able to weasel their way in. Um, you know, in this last two years didn't go so well. Um, so it will be interesting to see if it come back with eight or nine, right? Uh, that's more of a 10-10 split because those Republican names that are probably coming back, you know, are going to be key players. I mean, I'm, I'm literally looking at it like we, we may end up just like the House. Not really sure what we're going to do because right. we're ready to nearly 10-10 split. So who's well, going to sell their soul? A, a one-person majority is not much of a majority right. like you saw in the House the last two years. So I don't know. Well, and historically we've seen – look, we've seen a bipartisan coalition in the Senate before. Uh, they were the ones that lived on that for quite a while, uh, utilizing the Bush caucus with more, uh, with more of the pro, you know, pro government spend uh, Republicans, and the conservatives were the ones that were in the minority locked out. So we, we've seen this before. We've seen this dance before. This is not surprising. Uh, yeah, and it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility at all because, like I said, those. Republicans, um, you know, the, those several Republicans that have done this before. So to say, well, you know, I mean, you know, well, maybe it's not going to happen that way. I'm like, well, the, like I said, they've done it before, so they very well might do it again. And if that happens, you know, of course, the Democrats that come back, they would love nothing more than to have control of committees and whatever else may happen. So they're not going to think twice about, you know, whatever they might do long term. Um, so it will be interesting to see. Now, that would be a, a fascinating dynamic in the sense of now it's reversed. 
And, you know, are we back to, let's just say Dunleavy gets reelected. If it was Dunleavy and a strong house, now you got a Senate that's going to fight him. I mean, once again, here we go, probably back to gridlock and can't get anything done. Why I keep telling people, why do you want to take chances on this legislature? How many times do you have to go through? Maybe this time, Charlie Brown, just vote yes on the con-con and take your power back, folks. Do it yourself. And don't worry about what the legislature is going to do. Who cares? You know? And then hope we got a good lieutenant governor that helps, you know, set up the timing and, and whatnot that makes it good. Because a smart lieutenant governor would make the thing happen in January, right? <laughs> 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 well, be no legislators at that constitutional convention. Right. So. Um, Mike Schauer is our guest, uh, GOP state senator, currently for District E, running for District O. We're going to continue our discussion with him here in just a moment. Uh, don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. We'll have more discussions and talk about the seat for District O as well. That's all coming up. You're home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. What is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Well, there's some interesting races out there uh, for sure. Um, you know, the ADN actually had, Nat Hers actually had a pretty good breakdown of it, although I did love some of the some of the language, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But there are some interesting races. Um, you know, Scott Kawasaki, uh, who narrowly won that seat from uh, Pete Kelly back in the day, is back up for re-election. Uh, but he's going to be facing off against um, uh, facing off against Jimmy Matherly, who is a pretty popular, uh, pretty popular uh, mayor uh, in the city of Fairbanks. That's one race that I think is going to be uh, super interesting. What are the other ones that you think are going to be harder? I mean, I got we got District L, which is Kelly Merrick versus Ken McCarty. Um, and then, of course, two other Republicans. But really, it's McCarty or Merrick who are going to be the powerhouses in that race. Uh, any thoughts on any of the other races uh, specifically? Well, you named that one there with Merrick and McCarty. That's a pretty important race, right? Because Kelly Merrick's already shown she'll sell her soul in a heartbeat to the Democrats. So I can't trust her. As far as I'm concerned, you know, her coming into the Senate as a Republican means nothing to me because I could just see her going over the Democrats going, yeah, give me a co-chair of finance. I'll sell my soul for four years. So I'm like, great. So right, right. Um, that's a no-brainer to me that, you know, I, I hope McCarty wins that one because he is stuck with the Republican, you know, um, uh, minority or, or group in the House this entire time. So at least has shown he is he can be trusted to do that much. Um, so I hope that that's a race that's, you know, in, in my opinion, the, the race for that seat's very important, especially with the gerrymandering that happened with the, you know, the, the non-activist courts, um, <laughs> uh, over the redistricting, um, who have essentially gerrymandered a, a free democratic seat out of Anchorage uh, for the Senate. So with that, that, that Merrick McCarty race is very important. You know, the Roger Holland race with Geisel being back in, that's another one that's important because Geisel's of the whole, you know, anti-PFD, 
um, you know, crowd to begin with. And she slaughters her Republican colleagues like she did. She takes away their chairmanships, you know, and, and slaughters the power of their ability to represent. So she doesn't just talk, right? She, she shows she'll wield that iron fist of power. So Diesel does not need to come back. We've seen that person around for a decade. Right. Um, this so is that's all another race. It's a rematch, yeah. right? I mean, this is the rematch yeah. between Holland and Geisel with some extra folks thrown in at this point. It is. It is. So that's a, that's an important one. Those two there, based on their past history, and demonstrated. Um, of course, I I have a, a challenger now. I was hoping I wouldn't have to because my goal was, uh, you know, to be able to help in these other races and get good people back that would allow us to have both bodies you know, um, under Republican control, but the Republican control that would hopefully able to be able to solve some, you know, stuff, not be split like we've been. But, right. Um, so now I'm going to have to, you know, spend time and effort on that too. That's the way it goes. But I was hoping to be able to focus my time and energy on some of these other races, plus the constitutional convention. That's perhaps the most disappointing, <clears throat> disappointing part is I'm going to have to split my energy now, which is not going to be helpful. Right. We're going to um, talk, we'll we're going to talk about that more. Um, I'm interested in, uh, the matchup between Clayman and Costello. That's uh, another one. Also, yep. the yep. Peninsula race with uh, with Babcock since Machiki bowed out. Um, I mean, there are some there are some pivotal races around the state. There's a half a dozen, I think, in the Senate that are going to be very very. Yep. Telling. Stevens even has a challenger now that apparently has a chance to make up some ground because uh, Gary's been around a long time. He's one of those you know twenty year legislators two decades plus. Um, and I think people are starting to get kind of anti uh, the old incumbent, right? The old legislators that have been around forever. Right. Um, so uh, that's one, that, that's one of several. There's a lot of interesting stuff percolating out of Bethel around Hoffman's race um, that, you know, has, it might be an interesting dynamic to watch too, because I'm reading about some accusations of the fact that he lives really in Anchorage, doesn't live in the district. And right. somebody's been sending me stuff I'm like, Ooh, you know, that's like being forwarded as an actual allegation to uh, the division of elections. And I go, that's significant because that can have a, you know, quite the impact on a race. If, if, if you find out a person is not even eligible, that's been doing this for years and was told this and division of elections did nothing. So that doesn't sound that, I mean, that's just, I've just been keeping my eye on that one. Cause that's been percolating through several sources lately watching it. So that's an interesting one. Um, so there's just a lot this year with the people bowing out of races with the dynamics of what's happening in the races, long-term politicians and life, you know, typically the people are kind of have been anti long serving politicians um, and some tight races with people, like you said, like Kawasaki with uh, the mayor of Fairbanks. That's different. It's not just a guy running. It's a guy that people know the name in that district and generally have been pretty happy with them. So that's a quite the dynamic, right? You talked about Tuckerman, you know, down there. So there's just, I mean, all over the state, like this is not just a couple of key races, you know, look at, uh, for example, a, a fascinating one is uh, Drummond versus Fields, right? right? Right. I mean, there's two union crony, you oh, know, yeah. far left politician Democrats, and they're going to have to fight each other in the same oh, district. I mean, and that's, that's like fascinating in a way. That's, well, that's like that's like Garen Tarr versus Forrest Dunbar. I mean, another one. Right? I mean, that race is like, oof. I mean, and and you know, God, you know, not that uh, Garantar, uh, you know, meets my criteria for most things, but in that race, it's pretty obvious who uh, who would need to win that race uh, just out of that alone. It's uh, it's exciting stuff. All right, we're gonna get back into it. Here we go. Jumping back in the Michael Duke Show. Share and like, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube. Let's get to it. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, we're continuing now. Mike Showers, our guest. Uh, we're down into the final uh, little piece here of the Shower Hour of Power. And uh, we've been talking about elections and some of the different races. Uh, I was just talking about the Garantar and uh, Forrest Dunbar race, and you were talking about the Zach Fields and Harriet Drummond. I mean, you know, maybe this uh, redistricting didn't help all of them. And, of course, the ranked choice voting is going to make it very interesting. There's going to be some interesting races uh, with just, uh, you know, when you choose the lesser of two evils, I guess, in those districts. Yeah, that's definitely the case. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, some of those are, you know, you look at the Drummond Fields race and go to far left, you know, far left um, Democrats, and they've got to compete with each other. So that's not from our perspective as conservatives or Republicans, you know, whatever you are, um, you know, that's kind of a win in a way because one of them is not coming back. Right. So. Right. Um, but so there's there's some of that going on. But then, you know, there's some of that in some of the Republican districts, too. So. Um, this will be between ranked choice voting, the Constitutional Convention question, all of the changes and handouts and the, the incumbents that are coming back. Um, this is going to be a fascinating one to watch. And I hope at the end, a positive one. But like we said before the break, um, the Senate is more suspect to me and how that's going to look coming out of it, because we could just end up flipping the bodies and having now the Senate's the one that's going to fight it. You know, if it's a Republican governor as opposed to the house being the one for the last four years has been fighting. So, um, but I, I don't know. We'll see. It's just going to be fascinating. There's going to be a lot of issue race. Like I said, Garantar worked with her Forrest Dunbar, that guy. Oh my goodness. He is, you know, he's fallen off the flat earth, you know, to the left. Right. Right. That, that dude's so far over with all of the, you know, militant policies on certain aspects and other things. And, you know, Garantar has actually been, you know, I've, I've enjoyed working with her in a lot of stuff. There's some things that she's really like the food caucus all about it. You know, the PFD, she's pretty good on it. She kind of stuck with her caucus. I get it, but she's pretty pro PFD. You know, if she had a good caucus, you know, whatever, she'd probably be okay voting for it. Um, you know, so there's some aspects of working with her that haven't been, you know, um, uh, as bad as somebody like I could imagine Forrest Dunbar watching him on that Anchorage Assembly. Right. Oh, good Lord. Right, I mean, right. he's going to make Zach Fanzler look or, or Zach Fields look conservative by the time it's all said and done. So, yeah. um, if that was even possible. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, Mike. There's going to be some fascinating races. Well, I, I anticipate some upsets. And, uh, you know, no, well, you know, I was going to say on November 7th, but we won't know on November 7th, will we? Right. Because of stupid ranked choice voting, Scott Kendall and Alaskans for Better Elections. And according to the Division of Elections Director, they're going to wait 14 days, two weeks, right? Before until we know, know. right? And know That's exactly really what happens. Be. Well, let's yeah, talk a little. Be. Let's talk a little bit about your race. During the break, you said, you know, uh, you was unfortunate. You were hoping to run on a post simply because you have other things you'd like to focus on, including the con con and getting other people elected. But you are now facing an opponent. And here's, to me, the interesting thing is. Uh, is why. I mean, you've got, it seems like, pretty universal support from amongst your constituents. You've got a, a lot of of, of, of uh, accolades. Now, you're hated by the right people, in my opinion. Uh, you're hated by the right people. But they decided to, uh, you know, this d d to drop into the race here, and you've got now got Doug Massey in there. And there's a few things that I want to I paint some differences here uh, between you and uh, Doug. In the newspaper, uh, which... I love how they called you the arch conservative Republican incumbent. Arch you're not just a conservative baby. <laughs> you are an arch conservative. Uh, it's a race that looks to be something akin to a heavyweight title fight. 
Uh, you're running against Doug Massey, who was the head of the Wildlife Troopers until just a week ago, where he retired and dropped his name in the hat. Um, that you know, you're a solid conservative with with bona fides that are you know all great, but you've clashed with members of your Republican majority over their more moderate. You haven't clashed with the Republican majority. You've clashed with members. Uh, you know that you guys were promised certain things that never got delivered on. And, uh, and I find, again, the way they reported this. But Massey says he's going to take a more collaborative uh, approach. And, of course, the first thing I think about when I think of collaborator is not necessarily a good thing. But, um, I mean, what say you about, you know, dropping this candidate in on you? Is this the powers that be, you know, is this their way of sticking the finger in the eye and saying we need to get rid of this burr under our saddle? Well, I mean, I'm sure that's possible, Mike. I mean, if I'm not going to sit there, I, I, I don't know, you know, what conversations took place or who did what. I have no way of knowing that. Um, but I, I certainly wouldn't put, wouldn't put it past certain people <laughs> that would love to see me gone um, to, you know, try to support somebody else in the race. I don't know that that's how it played out at all. I'm just I could speculate. But I certainly, like I said, I, I know for a fact but I've heard for months now. I mean, I knew Doug was going to put his name in the race. I've been hearing it for months. And I know people like Bill Kindig, who apparently really don't like me because he's very moderate up in the Valley, has been pushing Doug to run, right? So right. I know there are people that um, think that I am too conservative or I'm too pro-PFD or I'm too whatever um, that would love to see me gone. You know, and if that's what happens, so be it, Mike. You know what? I'm going to go back to FedEx and make lots of money and say to hell with all of you, right? And I'm going to move on because <laughs> I'm not going to waste more of my life. So right, right. if that's what the people do and and – and Doug ends up being a, a moderate or a collaborator or whatever, well, then you get what you vote for, you know, right. so be careful, but right. wisely. I'm not saying that's what he would do. I'm saying, but that's, that's how, that's how it rolls, right? Well, so, let's, let's um, talk, let's talk about how you differentiate. What, what article, by the way, the, was this? I don't oh, even know what article you're talking this about. This is the ADN. This is the tight, uh, tight races are expected this summer in dozens <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> of Alaska districts. And it gives a breakdown of a district by district race. It's a, it's a really, it's actually an interesting article because it lays out some things that a lot of people don't don't know about the different races so it is pretty good although again some of the verbiage you arch conservative you um let's uh but, but let's differentiate yourself a little bit here i mean when i read this first position from your opponent i thought oh boy here we go uh under the permanent fund under issues he says i support the largest dividend alaskan can responsibly and sustainably afford when they talk about a dividend that they can afford that means to me that it's all about whatever's left over after they've done their spending. You are a supporter of a full statutory PFD, right? I mean, just to differentiate here between you and your opponent. I always have been, Mike. And I, the only position I've taken that's different was out of the fiscal policy working group. You know that. And I said I would go to a 50-50. But I also said that it was under one precise condition, and that was if it was in the Constitution. If it's not, then to heck with that because you're just going to get rolled again. So no. So right. if there's not a fiscal comprehensive plan, that has that in the Constitution moving forward with the spending cap, which was part of the deal, that I'm I'm out because I want to see the whole package part of it. Right, that's it. Outside of that, my I've, I've never supported anything but the statutory PFD, and I've said all along, just like you, if we're going to change it, then change the law. Right, you don't you don't do this without changing the law. I'm not going to do that. I've been very clear, very clear on that, I, and I think you know that. But yeah, I mean, I support. I'm not going to put in the freaking. The, the statutory PFD amendment that got it passed and made them so mad, you know, a few weeks ago. Right. So, yeah. 
Right. No, I mean, you were the one, you were the one that was throwing all that paint at the wall to see what stuck to try and get him to do something. <laughs> and uh, you were able to do it. And yeah, there's some people who are not happy with you about it. I think this again, to me, this just looks like, a, 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 you know, again, you don't have to comment on it. But to me, this just looks like another uh, response to that, that how dare he do it. We're going to put somebody in there that will, you know, again, collaborate with us in a in a great way. Well, Doug may have made his own mind up of that. I don't know. And he was in Wilson's district, you know, before too. So maybe that was a dynamic change. I mean, I don't think that may be part of the, you know, the whole process here. But um, like I said, the biggest thing, Mike, to me, I mean, I know you want to keep talking about it here for a minute, but I just, I was hoping to be able to focus on the Constitutional Convention, on helping other key strategic races, because the last thing we need to do is fight in the Matsu where we have, you know, all conservatives, you know, for the most part. And when there's other areas of the state that are going to be key seats when we go back to swinging the balance of power. And I hate when we do this to ourselves and have to spend our own time and energy fighting each other. You know, that's the way it goes. But, um, you know, that's not reality. It's not what it's going to be. But I was hoping to be able to do those things. It's just going to it's going to split time and energy. That's the that's the one part of it that's a little bit disappointing because that means we can't focus as much on those other things. But again, that's that's how it goes. One minute, Mike, here. Give you the final thoughts here for this morning. I, I think that's it, Mike. This is this is down to the wire on, you know, a big race across the state for many. What's the power balance going to be when we're done? Ranked choice voting, redistricting, constitutional convention. There's a lot at play here, brother, and a lot at stake. So yeah. um, if there's ever a year to get involved, you know, in races, folks, for the ones you think are good, this would be the year, um, no matter who your candidate is. And we're going to need some help. We're going to need help knocking on doors, making phone calls, um, writing articles about the Constitutional Convention, because I know most of your crowd supports it. And folks, we're going to need help. You know, just just complaining about it on the radio, writing some comments on Facebook, that's not good enough. We, we are going to need real people to volunteer, step up, and help us do a campaign to get the Constitutional Convention to a point where enough people, 50% plus one, will vote yes. So folks get off the bench and get in the game because if you really want to see change you're going to need to get involved mike shower our guest we're out of time folks be kind love one another live well all right mike right up to the wire man you're good at that all right you did your best right up to the wire um all right i mean again um we got a couple minutes here Uh, i you know we're gonna have doug on the show and we're going to try and get as many candidates as we can uh, on the show here over the next uh, over the next uh, six eight weeks um, to at least you know get the different perspectives. Um, but uh, again, I just wonder: is this where Alaskans want to go? To where they basically the government takes the PFD and spends it how it wants and gives us whatever's left over in in again in violation of the law? Or, you know, I mean, are like you said earlier, is there an anti-incumbent, not anti-incumbent, but anti-long-time incumbent fever that uh, that you uh, that you see coming? And the answer to that is, I think, yes. But there's also, you know, the other dynamic, Mike, you have to have a good challenger. If you have the same challenger that's thrown his name in the hat four times against a long-serving one, like, say, from the southeast, Um, You know, that person is not strong enough to beat the incumbent that's been there for 20 years and it's not going to change. And so that's it's not just one thing of saying, well, you know, anti-incumbents, they're all going to lose. No, they're not. You got to have somebody that really responds to the people that people like. They know their name. You know, you have a good challenger. You could see one of these, you know, long serving incumbents that are very powerful be beat. But that tends to not happen here. So that's that's a part of it. Although there is still an anti-incumbent thing. I would add to it. It also depends on 
you know, the, the district that people represent. If it's, you know, like the Matsu, very conservative red part of the state, and they have a legislator that's been representing those values, the people will probably stay with them because they've been representing those values and their votes and what they say and do. And that's that could work out, you know, not just because they're an incumbent doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be in danger of getting voted out. Um, because the people, you know, they're they're actually representing what their constituents want. So as right. always, right. it's not it's not a simple cut and dried answer. But I think the people are sick and tired of watching the legislature not solve the problems, take the PFD, do anything and everything other than what the people want them to do. And so, yeah, if I was to say there's a flavor, there's a ten- tendency, it's going to be against incumbents. And I think a lot of the people that dropped out of races, that's why they didn't run. Because they knew their votes were going to make it really hard, and they had challengers um, to win those races. And I think they just gave up, said, yeah, I'm not going to waste my time. I know I'm screwed. But they did it to themselves based on what they did. Right. You know, like Liz Snyder, you know, she's like, she said, I'm for the full PFD. And then she voted against it the whole time. Right. Actions How do you stand have, on yeah. that record? Actions you know? have consequences. That's the bottom line there. And so we're going to see that. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that a lot of these people realize that their votes left them in an untenable position. And rather than take the L and take the loss at the polls and lose political capital because of it, they'll take some time off and some of them will return and they'll come back around and hope they'll hope that people have forgotten those votes by the time they come back again. Um, because I don't think we're done with some of them, but I think they, they just saw this time around as untenable. That's why the challenger matters so much, Mike, because if you have a strong challenger that can speak the speak, knows the information, can use that you know, their voting record and what they said and did versus what they promised on the campaign trail against the incumbent, that incumbent has probably got a chance of being beaten. That's why that matters so much. And the people getting involved, right? Same thing. If you support somebody to replace an incumbent, then you better help them. Go make phone calls for them. Go knock doors. Go volunteer and help people. Give them some money. They need that stuff to beat the incumbents to kick them out and get better people in. But people, most of the time, they just complain and then they don't help, and that person gets six, seven, eight volunteers. Well, that's that's tough, Mike, to to win against a long term incumbent when you don't have volunteers. Right. So, well, once again, people, like, what can I do? Get off the bench and get in the game. Talk to the candidate and ask them what they need. Help them. Right. Uh, well, that reminds me here. Uh, James uh, Jonathan asks on YouTube. Speaking of volunteers, how do we get in touch with Shower? Uh, because my wife would love to uh, knock on doors and sign wave. Uh, we're going to have to spin up the campaign website again, right? Because I can talk about it now. Uh, the session is over. So I'm going to have the Mike Shower for Alaska, you know, webpage back up. I've got my Facebook page. They can just contact me on that too, because that's okay to do that now. Um, so they can contact me directly. They can send an email to, you know, state email if they want. That's a way to reach me. Can't talk about the political stuff, but I will just, you know, I will give people my number that that's not the way you should contact them, but it happens. Right. And then you got to redirect and say, don't contact me here. Contact me over there. Um, so that that all of that will be up um, shortly, Mike. We'll get those things. That's, you know, just part of getting the bank account set up and all the stuff you got to do again. Right. Because even right. if I self-fund my campaign, I still have to put it in the bank and report it all on every expense and blah, 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 because they make it hard because people have been, you know, dishonest in the past. So everybody's got to suffer. Uh, but, yeah, they, there's multiple ways to reach out and you know, just tell her, say, reach out and send me an email at one of those different things and uh you know i'll respond and then we'll 
figure out where we can use the help. But absolutely, we can certainly use it. Best way to do it is to reach out on Facebook right now, I would say, and get that information. And Mike will get you walking the district and everything else. So, um, And you can do that. And then we'll be looking forward to seeing your website come up as well. Uh, Mike Shower. Thanks uh, for coming on board and joining us this morning. We love uh, love having you on, as always. Thanks for uh, being part of it. Uh, and you can now go back to bed, so it's all good. <laughs> right. Yeah, you always get me so fired up. This is worse than Red Bull. I still am going back to sleep after this. <laughs> it's exactly. <laughs> all right, my friend. Well, thank you for uh, coming on board. Uh, we appreciate right, it. Man. You got it. All right, folks. We are out of time for reels now. The Michael Duke Show continues tomorrow. Uh, we're hoping, fingers crossed, that Sarah Palin will be joining us. And uh, we might, we're working on another couple legislators as well. Uh, we'll see what that brings. But tomorrow is another day. Don't forget, again, to like and follow the show page. Don't forget to go onto YouTube uh, in the YouTube link. And uh, I've just posted that back up in the chat room again. If you haven't subscribed and rang the bell on YouTube for notifications, now is the time to do that as well. So do it. Do it now. Like and share. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense. Liberty-based. Free Vegan Radio. terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show